Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dan. Can we just give Dan Stevens a round of applause for leading us in worship this morning? And Dan has been faithful to drive here from Abilene for the last several months to be one of our interim worship leaders. And Dan, I just want to say publicly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been a gift to this church, and we are grateful for you. So thankful for, for what you've done for us. So excited that um, that's coming to an end, not because we don't want to see you, but just because we're excited to receive Zach in a couple of weeks. Um, also, uh, as we watched the Reach to Honduras video, you may not realize that Laura Waits was sitting in the room. Laura is one of the directors of the IBA, so can we just say thank you to Laura for all that she does this morning? There's just so much going on in the life of this church, and we have so much to be grateful for. And I'm glad today that we get to continue this series that we're calling Difference Makers. As I said last week, so many of you in the room, I'm preaching to the choir. This is who you are. This is what you do. Uh, You find so many ways to serve and to help and to love people. And there's a lot of us that are inspired by that and some of us that want to be more like that. And and that's where I find myself more days than not, if I'm honest, is is how can I I really step into that life uh, that so many of you are living so faithfully? to really make a difference in the lives of other people. And I want to start with that question. How, how do you, how can you make a real difference in the life of another person? How can you make a real difference in the life of another person? Uh, this past Friday night, I got to take my two daughters, Ella Grace and Emma, over to uh, Bahama Bucks for what we call a daddy-daughter-daughter date night. I've got two daughters, so it's, there's two daughters in that sentence, daddy-daughter-daughter date night. And on the way over, we're talking, and somehow this question came up. Not this question exactly, but a question kind of like it. My daughter Ella Grace was asking me, she was like, you know, Dad, at church, we're always talking about how we should talk to our friends about Jesus and, and, and tell, tell our friends about Jesus. And she had this question. She was like, how do you do that? Like, how do I bring them up? That was her question. And I thought, that's a, that's a great question. So I did what every good father would do. I bought her an icy and I said, ask your preacher on Sunday. Um, <laughs> No, we talked about it a little bit, but I thought that's really a great question, isn't it? And the more we talked, I realized, you know, she's growing up in a world, our kids are growing up in a world that's a lot different than the world that I grew up in. It's a lot different than maybe the world you grew up in. It's what people call a post-Christian world. It's, you know, the world I grew up in, it was very much Christian. It was the kind of world where, honestly, people went to church three times a week. And honestly, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights were still more or less protected by our culture. People understood this is a time for families to be together and to go and worship. But more and more, that's just not the case. That's not the way it is anymore. Uh, there's too many conflicts. There's too much going on. And as churches, we just have a hard time competing. And, and, and we see it all around us. And for a lot of us that grew up in, in that Christian world, in that Christian community, in that Christian neighborhood where life just revolved around church and where we were always together and there was a potluck every other month, like we get really frustrated. I've seen this in some of you. I've seen this in myself. We get frustrated and sometimes we get mad that, that things aren't the way they used to be. And we long for the, get this, the good old days. Uh, The good old days where we could just make an announcement and open the church doors and people would come. We could create more events and and have more times together and people would just show up because because we said, hey, let's get together and let's do that. And they would come and they would come and they would keep coming. And it felt like our churches were growing because we had more programs and more events than ever before. I'm not sure, if I'm being honest, we were making more disciples. But it felt like the things we were doing were successful because people had time and they were able to come. And that's the world that I grew up in. It's a world that maybe some of you grew up in. But that's not the world that our kids are growing up in. And so what happens is we find ourselves asking the question, how can we make things the way they used to be? 
How can we get back to the good old days? And I think that may be the wrong question. I think maybe a better question would be, how do we take Jesus into this post-Christian world? How do we go into the world around us today and point people to Jesus? The good news is that that's really always been the question. And the way forward is uncertain, and it's uncharted, and we don't know what's around the next corner, and we have more questions than answers. But the good news is that's the way it's always been. The good news is that the message of Jesus Christ has survived and even thrived through every cultural shift over the past 2,000 years. And I don't know about you, but I, I get excited and a little bit of comfort from the fact that the very first followers of Jesus were probably asking that same question. Not about the good old days, but how do we take this message of Jesus? Like we've seen it, we've experienced it, and, and this has happened. This literally just happened. How do we take this news, this new news, this good news about Jesus, Messiah Jesus, how do we take it into the world around us and how do we tell people about him? How do we point people towards him? And last week we talked about the story of Stephen, which is found in what we call the book of Acts. It's not really a book, it's a letter written by a guy named Luke who was a Greek doctor. And he, he wanted to get all the information about the story of Jesus and document it and write it down. So he talked to eyewitnesses and he, he did all that legwork. And then he continued that work because he, he became a believer in Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus. And he continued writing what we call Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, because it's the story of the church in its very beginnings. And in the beginning of the church, the church was growing, growing like crazy in Jerusalem. And it grew so much that the apostles had a hard time keeping up with all the needs of the church, so that they got together seven men to help carry on the work of the church. And the present need was taking care of widows who were hungry. And seven men were sort of appointed or sort of listed there to help care and take care of this need. One of them was a guy named Stephen. There was another guy named Philip we're going to talk about in a moment. But before we talk about Philip, what I want to do is I want to go back to the words of Jesus. At the very beginning of Acts, Luke writes this. If you have your Bible, you may want to open that up or your Bible app. You may want to track with me this morning a little bit because you're going to want to see the movement that Luke is making through the story of Acts. In Acts 1... Luke, the author of Luke, has still got Jesus on the ground. He's about to ascend and go back to heaven to be with the Father. Before he does, he has some last words for his disciples, for his followers. And these are some of the last words Jesus spoke on the planet before he went to go be back with the Father. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, You will receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Get this, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is the mission. The mission is the same, going to all the world and make disciples of all nations. Here Jesus says it this way, you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And where is everywhere? Start here in Jerusalem, then go to the area around the city in Judea, and then, oh, by the way, go to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, carry the good news of the message that I have come. Carry this news that God so loved the world. Carry that to everyone. Tell every, you be my witnesses. And Stephen was one of those first witnesses. He was asked to take care of widows. But if you remember last week, after taking care of widows, he had this power and this ability 
to preach and to teach and do miraculous signs. And his ministry, get this, his ministry was making such a difference in the life of his community that the Jewish leaders tried to come and shut it down. I think it's important to note, if he would have been living quietly following Jesus, not bothering anybody, they would not have come against him. But his ministry was making such a difference, having such an impact in his neighborhood, in his community, in his city, that those religious leaders of the Jewish faith came against him to try to shut it down. And they falsely accused him, they arrested him, and they stoned him, and they killed him because of it. And if you remember last week, we ended with these verses, these two verses from Acts 8, verse 1 and 4, where Luke wrote these words. After Stephen's death, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions. Where were they scattered to? Remember what Jesus said at the very beginning. They were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Jesus told them, take the good news of, of, take this good news about me. Take it to Jerusalem, to Judea, and then to Samaria. And then in verse 5, we read this in Acts 8. Philip, for example, went. Where did he go? To the city of Samaria. And he told the people there about the Messiah. And this is a little bit of big news because before this, you remember this from like stories like Jesus told of the Good Samaritan, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They despised each other. But Jesus says, hey, everything's changing. Everything is new. And this good news about me, I want this carried to everyone, including those people that live in Samaria. So Philip goes to Samaria. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Verse 12, the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women in Samaria were baptized. So the good news, the message of Jesus has now gone from Jerusalem into Judea and all the way to Samaria. Because what? Because Philip took the good news of Jesus there. But he didn't stop there and watch this. You're going to want to track this. Because the good news of Jesus isn't done moving yet. It's come from Jerusalem through Judea into Samaria. And now it's about to go to the ends of the earth. If you skip down to verse 26 of chapter 8 in Acts, we figure out this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So we started out. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kondak, the queen of Ethiopia. Now push pause right here. I think this is a huge move in the story. In fact, I would say, this may be too strong, but this might be true. That outside of the cross, this might be the most important story in Scripture. Because this is what is happening. The good news of Jesus is on the move. And God is about to use Philip to make a move that no one had seen coming. He sends him, he prompts him through an angel to go south to meet up with this treasure of of Ethiopia. Now, this could be literal Ethiopia, or it could mean to a person off the map to the ends of the earth. But, But Philip is sent to go meet with this Ethiopian eunuch. 
This is, this is a big story. We've taken the, the news of Jesus to other Jews, even Greek-speaking Jews, even people in Samaria, even people who had been in Jerusalem on Pentecost who had maybe heard the good news about Jesus, who'd come from other places, but now we're being sent to take the good news to people in other parts of the world. And Philip runs into this man because God prompted him to go meet this man who was a very important person. He was the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. He's a very important man. But he's not just any man because he's, he's an Ethiopian man. So he looks different. He talks different. He dresses different. He's not from around here. And not just that, but Luke tells us he was an Ethiopian eunuch. And sometimes we just kind of skip right past that pretty quickly, but I want to pause there just for a second because I think this is another important move in this text. You see, eunuchs, according to the law of Moses, you can read this for yourself in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, eunuchs were not welcome to be at a part of the community of God. Because they were eunuchs, they were unable to have full rights as someone who came into the community of God. So because of something that was probably done to this man as a child, he wasn't able, because of his status, to have full rights and full participation in the family of God under the law of Moses as things stood. There's a lot you could say about this. But I'm not sure that Luke could have painted a person that was more different than this man. A man who worked for the queen of Ethiopia, who was from Ethiopia, and who was a eunuch. And God himself prompts Philip to go talk to this man. We find, Luke says, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Somehow he had come to the knowledge of the one true God, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship him. And now he was returning. He was seated in his carriage, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So now this is the second time in four verses that God has prompted Philip to go over to this Ethiopian eunuch and have a conversation with him. And Philip doesn't just go, he runs. Verse 30, Philip ran over. He didn't hesitate, he didn't question it, he didn't doubt it, he didn't say, maybe I should pray about this a little longer, maybe I should talk to some friends about it, get some advice about this, maybe I should see what other people think. No, he just, he didn't debate it, he just went, he ran. Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him this question, he said, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Get this, the passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. You may recognize that. We just read that passage of scripture from Isaiah 53. And like Brenda said, we can't hardly read Isaiah 53, this, this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah written a thousand years before Christ came without thinking about Jesus. 
Like it's, you read it and it's like, this is the story of Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was led to the cross to die for our sins. That's what this is about. And so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? I don't understand. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, prompted by God two times, goes over to this Ethiopian eunuch, hears him reading from Isaiah, and now finds himself seated in this foreigner's chariot having a conversation about Jesus. How do you lead people to Jesus? It's the same question Ella Grace asked me. How, how, do, I, how do I bring it up? How do I talk to people about Jesus? I think, I think Philip shows us the way. I think Philip shows us the way. You, you meet people where they are. J- just as they are. And you take wherever they are and you try to point them to where Jesus is. And we don't know exactly what happens next. But apparently Philip has a pretty long conversation with him. I don't know how long they rode. I don't know how far they went. But somewhere along the way, Philip, as he's telling him about Jesus, tells this Ethiopian eunuch, hey, this is what happened. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose again because he was God's son. And if you want to enter into, if you want to belong to the family of God now, guess what? You can. All you have to do is be baptized. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know how he said it. I don't know how he told him. But somehow he communicated that because in verse 36, this is what happened. As they rode along, they came up to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? About two weeks ago, I got an email through our website. And I'll be honest with you, whenever I get an email through our website, I'm sometimes a little hesitant to, to respond because, as you might imagine, I can get some pretty, uh, you know, strange emails through our website. Uh, this email was from a guy named Jordan, and he had questions about baptism. And so I felt, honestly, I felt prompted to respond, so I did. I replied and said, hey, you know, how can I help? And we replied back and forth a couple of times. I didn't know if he wanted to, to, a phone call, coffee, a meet up. What did he want to do? And finally we decided, let's just meet Monday morning at church, come by the office, and we'll sit down and we'll talk. And I had no idea what I was walking into. But this guy comes in, and we sit down and we talk for a while. And I figure out this guy, he's got some great questions. He didn't grow up in a family of faith. But he's asking all the right questions. He's, he's come to faith on his own. He's been reading scripture on his own. And he, he had questions about baptism. And either through Google or maybe the Holy Spirit, I don't know which, he found our church. He found the, the stuff we had posted about baptism from our baptism Sunday we had at Easter. We've left that up as a resource for people. And he somehow found that and he had questions about it. And so here we are now having a conversation about it. And we're talking through it. And at the end of it, I'm like, you know, you know what, what do you think? Where are you at? What do you want to do? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe he'll want to get baptized next week or next month or next year or, you know, whenever. I'm, and my answer is always the same. We're here for you, however we can help. You know, we, we've had our Bibles open walking through Scripture for the last, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it is. And he says, I want to get baptized now. Can I do that? You know what I said? Yes. <laughs> Some of you wonder. Don't wonder. Yes is the answer. <laughs> Yes. So I gathered the staff together, and we found some other warm bodies that were in the church, and we all kind of gathered in here. And we witnessed Jordan confess his faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we witnessed him be baptized into Christ. 
That's what happened in this moment. The eunuch said, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? In verse 38, he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And I don't know if you noticed this, but we just skipped a verse. Look in your Bible, you may notice this. It goes from verse 36 to 38. (laughs) Whenever that happens, I just think that's awesome. That's just me. It's funny. Uh, Verse 37 probably is in your Bible as a footnote. That's because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. And whenever translators try to give you scripture, they want to give you the most accurate version possible. These words in verse 37 weren't found or discovered until manuscripts that came much, much later. And so they're put in your Bible as a footnote, but I want to read them to you because I think they give us a clue into how the early church thought about the story and thought about faith and life and baptism. Verse 37 says this, You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, my employer may be the queen of Ethiopia, but Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And every decision to be baptized is a public declaration that my life is now headed in a brand new direction. And this year at Riverside, we've seen 16 people make that confession and make that decision. Can I get an amen? That's just awesome. And that happens right here in this moment. And when they came up out of the water, get this, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. He disappears. He's just gone. The eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. What if, what if Philip had said no? What if God had prompted Philip to to go south, but instead he went north? What if he had gone south, but then he saw the man in the chair, and he could tell this is a wealthy man. He's not from around here. I'm not sure if I want to go over there. I think I'll just go this way instead. What if he walked up to to the man in the chair, and he realized, oh, this is an Ethiopian man. He's not from around here. He doesn't really even belong here. He, he talks different. He looks different. His skin is a different color. He's wearing different clothes. I, I think I'll just keep on walking. Or what if you got real close and you realized, oh, this guy, he's not just an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch, because you can tell. I, I don't know about this God. You really want me to talk to this person? You really want to have me have this conversation with, with this guy? He couldn't be more different. See, I think it's an important question to ask because I think so many times what you and I do is we negotiate with God about who we should and shouldn't talk to, about who is and isn't welcome. And Jesus said it in Acts 1, and then Philip lives this out a few chapters later, that God's desire all along is for his people to carry the good news to everyone. Starting in Jerusalem, check. Into Judea, check. All the way to Samaria, those despised Samaritans. Oh, yeah, we've got to love them now, check. And to the ends of the earth. Several months ago, I, I got a text from, from one of you, one of our members. He said, hey, Corey, heard the song on the radio. You've got to hear the song. And I'll admit, when I got the text, I was driving, I was busy, and I just, I just said thanks or whatever, but I didn't listen to it. Texted me again later, hey, did you listen to the song? It's fantastic. Every time I hear it, I, w- I want you to hear it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll check it out. 
didn't check it out. Sorry, I'm confessing. Um, I'll do better when you text me, I promise. But this week, I was reminded of that song. I don't know how. Holy Spirit may be again prompting me. And as I listened to this song, I'll be honest, I sat in my office, and if anybody would have walked in, they would have thought my cat had died. I don't have cats. Never mind. I was just, my eyes were full of tears as I heard the words of the song. It's a song, you may know it, a country song by um, a guy named Walker Hayes called Cred. And it tells a true story of a man who reached out to Walker, the guy who wrote the song and sings it. And I, is this okay? Can we play country music in church? Y'all good for that? We've already sung Kenny Rogers. It's, I mean, it's a slippery slope, I know. But if you guys would, I'd like to play this song. And we'll have the lyrics on the screen. Listen to this, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll close. I'm at Craig at a church called Redeeming Grace. It's like he understood my I don't want to be here face. I felt out of place, and I smelled like beer. But he just shook my hand, said, I'm glad you're here. He says we'll all be judged, but he was never judgmental. And even though my songs don't belong in no hymn, he quote me my lyrics, slapped me on the back. Said, man, you got a gift, how you write like that? Yeah, I know, he sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet. But Craig, I get, now he can't. Walk on water, turn a Napa Valley red, but he just might. With a man that did. Now he's not the light of the world, but I wish that mine was bright as his. Yeah, he just might be tight with a man that is. When you lose a record deal, y'all the perks fade fast. Dealership said we're gonna need to get that minivan back. So we were down in one car and broke as I felt. And my wife has six kids and only five seat belts. I needed help, but couldn't admit I was struggling. I said, Craig, it's all good, but he knew it all wasn't. Hey man, I'm praying for you would have been sufficient. But nah, he took roadside assistance to a whole nother level. The sacrificial heights showed up at the ballpark after my son's game. One night in two cars with his wife, Laura, watching from the other. I said, what in the world are y'all doing here, brother? He just laughed beside that old price of town and country van With the keys and the title and the pen and the sand Said, man, all you gotta do is sign in this yours I said, no, no way, but he wouldn't take no for an answer He said, please do, somebody did this for me once Just let me do this for you We argued about it for a little while And I teared up, and Craig smiled Yeah, I know, he sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? He can't walk on water or turn a Napa Valley red. But he just might be tight with a man that did. Now he's not light of the world, but I wish that mine was bright as his. Yeah, he just might be tight with a man that Drove the kids home, and when a cop pulled up beside us at the light, they didn't have to duck. Cause thanks to Craig, they were all buckled up.
But Philip couldn't walk on water. And he wasn't the light of the world. But I love that line. He was tight with the one who is. Craig couldn't do that either. But he saw a man, and despite all the differences between them, he looked at him and he loved him. And he made a difference in his life. Here's what I want you to know. God really, 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 really wants to use your life to point another life to Jesus. Let me say that again. God really, really, really wants to use your life to point another life to Jesus. And when we meet people that are different than us, it's not our job to point down at them in judgment or point over at them in contempt. We just point them up to the only God who saves and to His Son who, let's admit it, made the difference in our life. I think what Philip knew, I think what Craig knew, is that this is God's heart for us. That we just meet people where they are, we love them as they are, and we point them to Jesus. And here's the secret. If your life points to Jesus, if the way you live points to Jesus, it will point other people to Jesus. And this week as we go from this place, the question I want you to wrestle with is, who is God positioning you to point towards Jesus? Who is he whispering in your ear, hey, go over there. I want you to talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Trust me. And they may not be reading from Isaiah 53. It may not be as quick as Philip and the eunuch. It may not be as quick as an email and baptism that day. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. But when you, when you meet people, and when you walk with people, when you love people, and when you point them to Jesus over and over again, it will make a difference in their life. It will. Church, if you would, let's stand. When that Ethiopian eunuch came up out of the water, he was filled with joy. Philip disappeared, but his joy wasn't diminished. And we don't really know what happens next to the Ethiopian eunuch. There's some legend and tradition that kind of goes around that. We're not really sure. But in my, imagine, in my imagination, this is what happened. He got back in that chariot and he kept reading. He kept reading Isaiah. And in my mind, I think his eyes filled with tears when he got to Isaiah 56. And the Ethiopian eunuch read these words. These are the words of the Lord, the prophet Isaiah. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of this people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than the sons and daughters could give. For the name I will give them is an everlasting one. And get this, Philip just disappeared, but this will never disappear. It will never disappear. We would ask our Heavenly Father today, Dad, how do we tell people about your son Jesus? I think he would just whisper in our ear, Hey, be attentive. Listen, I'm going to point you to people. 
and then you point them back to me. You meet them where they are. You love them as they are. And then you point them to me. Church, this is our calling. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And church, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May we be a church full of Craigs. May we be a church full of Phillips. Let's sing.